Welcome to Massive Late Fee. And now your hosts, Mark and Carol. Well, hello everyone. Welcome back to Massive Late Fee. My name is Mark. With me as always is my girlfriend, Carol Staccato. What in the actual fuck? Staccato? Yeah, you're Carol Staccato. No. If we get married, you'd be Carol Staccato, because my last name, as everyone knows, is Staccato. What is wrong with you? It's an Italian name. We're not Italian. No, I am. No, you're not. You'll be Italian by... Oh, what do you mean I'm not Italian? What is happening? Forget about it. He's lost his mind. (sighs) The show can't continue. Hey, what's up? <laughs> Not much. It's been a good week here. It is April 5th, 1997. I'm liking it now. I didn't like it at first, but I'm liking 1997. I'm, I'm happy for you. I'm saying 1997. It kind of it's got, it gets a, it has a little fire to it, you know? When you say it like a freak, it does, yeah. <laughs> 97. You know that this isn't like the riff, right? What's the riff? You know what the riff is. The riff's one hundred one point one, though. Yeah, I'm saying. No, it, the funny the the funny thing is is like you say this is not the riff, and then I say what's the riff? I when I do that, mm-hmm. I'm speaking for all of our listeners that do not live in the Metro Detroit area <laughs> that have no idea. It's a local reference. Everyone. It's a it's a like it's a heavy, rock station. Yeah, like harder hitting stuff with Arthur Penhowel. Yeah, and there's saying one hundred one. Baby, it sounds like that. The riff, yeah, that's what he sounds like. He's one of those old time, like like late sixties, seventies disc jockeys. It's just like I think that like you're auditioning to be a disc jockey every time we make one of these tapes. Do you know? I do. Well, I've got a a hell of a CV, right? For for uh, being a disc jockey, what have we done? Like a hundred and fifty eight episodes. I have. I've lost count. I know this is the fourth year. Yeah, we're in year four. It's so crazy. Yeah, technically, well, yeah, it's the third season, but it's uh, the fourth year, I guess. Hmm? 94, 95, 96. Oh, no, it's the fourth season. You're right. Mm-hmm. Okay, whatever. Yeah, we have completed three years. Three years. Of doing tapes. That's right. And now we're into year four. That means we'll hit... Episode 200 this year. What do you think about that? What does your, your stomach think about that? <laughs> could you hear that? Oh, my God. I could hear so it. so embarrassing. I could hear it loud and clear in my headphones. <laughs> I wonder if they could. Could you hear the the tiny uh, animal <laughs> crying to escape from Carol's throat? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my God. Well, from fun to suicide. Suicide. Do you you remember? Suicide is painless. It brings a many changes. What in the fuck is happening? You're not familiar with that? No. We'll get get sued. That sounds awful. Do you know the TV show MASH? Yes. How it goes. The lyrics to that... The song is called Suicide is Painless. Oh. The lyrics to the hat song are, Suicide is painless. It brings on many changes. And I can take or leave them if I like. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. That's pretty disturbing. You know what else is disturbing? Hmm. The person that wrote the lyrics to that song. Killed himself? No, there was like the, uh, the one of the producers. It was like his 14-year-old son. Oh, no. <laughs> He's like he. The, someone wrote the lyrics for the. They had the tune. Someone wrote the lyrics for it for the. I believe it was for the movie, either movie or TV show. I don't remember. I think maybe it was the TV show. And the producer, I can't remember his name. He was like Alan Ladd or something like that. Didn't like the lyrics. He's like these lyrics don't. I don't like them. They don't fit. And he's like the song's melancholy. He said to his son, the "Song's melancholy. It should be like a melancholy song." And so he wrote. Uh, he, Thought of the phrase "suicide is painless," and he just wrote that song. Wow. Yeah. Well, I mean, good for him, I guess. Yeah. As long as nobody actually killed themselves. Well, some people actually did kill themselves, though, Carol. If you remember the uh, Hale Bop Comet Cult, remember we were talking about Hale Bop? Yeah, kind of. 
And yeah, well, apparently uh, a, a cult got together and said, you know what? Let's fucking kill ourselves when this comet comes around. How'd they kill themselves? Did they jump in front of the comet? They had a bunch of... You didn't hear about the story? <laughs> jumped in front. Wow, that was such a delayed reaction. Like, <laughs> the fuck? So this just proves <laughs> you don't listen when I talk. Well, I half listen and then I processed it. They bought a telescope, though, hoping to see the spaceship that they thought the comet was uh, ushering in. The spaceship that was going to take them to heaven. Or some alien planet or something, I don't remember. Wow. Two months before they killed themselves, the Heaven's Gate cultists bought a $3,645 computerized telescope to study the spaceship they believed was shadowing the Hale-Bopp comet. A week later, they were asking for their money back. The refrigerator-sized telescope wasn't showing them the spaceship, they complained. <laughs> Quote, they called and were very frustrated. They said, well, gosh, we found the comet, but we can't see anything following it. Wow. Mike Fowler, an employee at Oceanside Photo and Telescope, said Tuesday, Colt Leisher, Colt, Colt, Colt Leisher? Leisher? <laughs> He's got his leash around everybody, yes. I see. Colt leader, Marshall Applewhite, and a member named John Craig paid the money with a credit card for the state-of-the-art Sch- Schmidt. Well, this is this is a good product placement for them, for the uh, 1X200 Schmidt Cassin Grain Telescope on January 30th. They didn't know much about astronomy, uh, they said. <laughs> yeah, they didn't. But yeah, they, they, they thought that, uh, for anyone that doesn't, uh, that doesn't know, the Heaven's Gate cult thought that there was a spaceship following the Hale-Bopp comet that was going to take them to heaven if they killed themselves while they were wearing sneakers. <laughs> so wow. Wearing sneakers. Wow. They drank some poison and uh, died. What kind of sneakers were they wearing? I believe it was not Adidas, but I believe it was um, Nike. Adidas? Are you serious right now? What? Adidas. Yeah, freak. I swear. <sighs> this, is a, this, is, this is mostly for me, this story. This is a very brief Little thing here. Okay. But uh, the comedian and Saturday Night Live alumnus, Chris Rock, is going to uh, perform at the Fox Theater on April 25th. Oh, that's cool. Anyone want to go see Chris Rock? Chris Rock's very funny. I'll I'll go see Chris Rock. Yeah. He's a very funny comedian. He's, uh, you know, kind of up and coming. And, uh, yeah. Cool. He's kind of a physical comedian, you know. Likes to get physical. Does he? Sort of like he moves around a lot. Let's get physical, physical. <laughs> With Olivia Newton-John in the audience. <laughs> He's like, uh, ah, ah, I'm not going to do it. I'm not wow. Gonna his, I'm not going to do his voice. I, gonna, sound I like... thought about doing his voice, and then I just noped out of it. Like, <laughs> right in the you middle did of what it. now? I, I said nope right in the middle of it. Okay. But you know what I'm not going to say nope on, Carol? What? Detroit's first microbrewery. Have you heard about... What's a microbrewery? Micro <laughs> I know what a brewery is. What's a microbrewery? Well, apparently a microbrewery is like a regular brewery, but smaller. Okay. Hence micro. No, it's like a... So, in a brewery, they make beer. Right. right. It, well, in a microbrewery, they also like make beer. Tiny beer? <laughs> Little it's, tiny bottles? It's like a Willy Wonka uh, style. <laughs> no, um, they... They make it only in the one location. So it's like the bar will have a little brewery in the back. Like instead of like hundreds of vats or whatever, they'll have like one vat where they make their own beer that is specific to that location. Okay. And they sell it. So it's like, it's like bathtub gin. It's like, it's like making uh, your own homebrew, but it's attached to an establishment. So I guess people put a little more faith in it. Hmm. I don't know. I, I don't think that I'd want to go pay for somebody's version of a home-brewed beer. That sounds kind of sketchy. I feel like you can get botulism from uh, improperly You made feel beer. like that? I'm, I don't remember if that's the case or not, but I feel like that's right. 
Mm. Anyway, De- Detroit's first microbrewery serves up a roaring good time. Holy shit, why? It's uh, in the Lions facility. Okay. No, it's not. Um, on a recent Friday evening, beams the light poured from a building on Joseph Campo that had been deserted for more than a decade. Couples made their way up the street as valets attended to a stream of cars. Inside, the crowd was deafening as it celebrated Rivertown's gleaming new eatery and drinkery, the Atwater Block Brewery. Hoist your steins, mateys, and toast another fine reason to come downtown. What do you think? It's called the Atwater Block Brewery at 227, which is too, too funny. Joseph can't, or is that 237? I have really bad eyes. Let me see. It is 237. 237, Joseph Campo. Not as funny. Uh, in Detroit. So if you're in the Detroit area and you want to try some Atwater Block Brew, go to the Atwater Block Brewery. Well, I guess now I'm going to have to wait a little bit and make sure there's not another follow-up story about people getting botulism before we try it. 70 die at the Atwater Block right. Brewery. Um, no, I, I'm i sort of interested in it, but like you, I'm kind of like, eh. What are they, they going to do? Is it local flavors? Are they using that uh, that water fresh from Lake Erie? Ew, or the Detroit River, even worse. Right. Um, the Rouge. Ew. Yeah. You never go anywhere near the Rouge. Mm. Like, that is the most contaminated water. I almost fell in once. Oh, my God. You would have melted. Right? <laughs> it was one of the most frightening moments of my whole life. You know life. how on The Simpsons they have the, those fish with the three eyes? Right, yes. That's, that's what the Rouge refers. <laughs> it's three-eyed fish central. Anyway, I got one more story here, baby. Okay. And then we're going to get into what the fuck we came here to talk about. It's like everyone. Newsweek. Newsweek. Oh, that's not a show. I was thinking that's a what? it's a magazine. But I was going to do the theme song to Newsweek. You know how like 60 Minutes? 60 Minutes has that classic theme song. You know what? No. Yeah, that's not a theme song. <laughs> it's a fucking ticking clock. Oh, uh, Anyway. Um, yeah, that's what they call a, that's what they call a hot woman when she's 17 years old. <laughs> a fucking dick and clock. Um, age of super TV draws closer. Detroit is first in line for digital broadcasts. Digital, Carol. Okay. A new generation of television sets that offer sharp, bright, Movie quality pictures will begin arriving in Detroit stores by Christmas 1998. Cool. A year from this Christmas. That's a long time to wait. That is. That's about when local stations should begin broadcasting their first programs programs using a new technology called digital television. Hmm. The biggest advance in broadcasting since color TVs debuted in the 1950s. Viewers won't have to junk the TV sets and VCRs they have now which read a, a different kind of transmission signal. But after nine years, they'll either have to buy a new one or get converters expected to cost $150. How do they know how much these fucking converters are going to cost nine years? Yeah, that's now? weird. And how do they know it's going to take nine years? This whole thing seems weird. Are they reading the future? Like, what is happening? 1998, so nine years, it'll be 2007. Okay. So they're like, by 2007, all TVs are going to be dead. Except these ones we're making now. All of this became possible Thursday when the Federal Communications Commission ended years of wrangling over how the nation would convert television broadcasting from so-called analog to digital signals. The 4-0 vote spells out exactly how and when stations across the country will make the transition. Major network affiliate broadcasts. It's a, and then this gets very in the weeds about broadcast affiliates and stuff like that. If you're... Go seek out the Detroit Free Press if you're technical-minded and you and you want to hear about uh, how the different affiliates are going to be doing different things. But, Carol, yes. digital television, so it makes the quality of the video better. What do you think? 
Um, I don't know. It makes me a little nervous because it takes long to like download digital songs and stuff. And to imagine like having the TV be digital, like how's that going to be fast enough? Yeah. Yeah. I see. I see where you're going. I, I think it's different though, right? Like, I mean, it would have to be. Yeah. I mean, cause you download stuff to your computer. It's not like it's going to download. I think digitals maybe. So I don't think they're using the internet for the signal or anything like that, but I don't know. I think it's. I'm not sure. Yeah. Oh, well, we'll see. I mean, if it makes the picture better, that's cool. I, I, I wouldn't say no to a clearer picture. Yeah. Yeah, I've never downloaded any songs, though. Really? Oh, I have. It takes days. Where do you, where do, you do that at? Just on the internet? Find songs? So the movie that we saw this week. <laughs> yep. What about it? It was awesome. What did you think? <laughs> I liked it. Good night, everybody. <laughs> we saw Chasing Amy. There you go. Kevin Smith movie. We saw uh, Kevin, no middle name, Smith's uh, most bland director name in the world. Kevin Smith. For such a not bland dude. Absolutely. Uh, we saw his latest opus, Chasing Amos. Oh, my God. Why? No, Chasing Amy. Amy, yeah. Should say Amos. It sounds like anus, and now that's all I can think about. That's what it should have called. Chasing Anus. Chasing Anus. Kevin Smith, you should have named your movie Chasing Anus. I don't think it would have quite had the same ring. But it would have been apropos, kind of. <laughs> Oh my God. If this was if this was from Banky's perspective, I guess. Right. But anyway, so no, we saw Chasing Amy, uh, the third film in uh, Kevin Smith's growing catalog of movies that are all apparently connected to each other. Yeah, it's kind of cool. Like they always like mention stuff that happens in other movies. He's creating an entire universe. It reminds me very much of Stephen King, because Stephen King does the same things with his books. It also, I guess, I don't read comic books, but I think Stephen King and probably Kevin Smith, who's apparently a really big comic book fan, uh, got the idea to do that merge universes and like have crossover stuff and things like that from comic books, because I think comic books kind of spearheaded that thing. So kudos, but uh, it's, it's, it's interesting. It's very interesting to watch a movie and hear them talk about Rick Darris yeah. or Caitlin Bree <laughs> or Julie Dwyer, and it's like we know all those names. Yeah, wasn't Julie Dwyer the one that uh, drowned in the pool or something? She had an aneurysm yeah. and died mid-backstroke. Because she swam herself to death. the YMCA pool. Yeah, because of T.S. Eliot specifically. <laughs> or not T.S. Eliot, not the I was going to say. T.S. Quint. Because of T.S. Quint from uh, Mallrats. Yeah. Because he told her that the camera adds 10 pounds. Because of Brandy Svenning's uh, dad, who put her on that show, Truth or Date. And by the way, they mentioned Brandy Svenning in this, too. Mm-hmm. Apparently, Banky uh, went down on her at some point. Yeah, that's kind of weird to think about. That that doesn't seem like weird. a coupling that would work. Clara Forlani and uh, Jason Lee. They were in Mallrats together. So that's the funny thing, too, is like he knows. Oh, and Joey Lauren Adams was in Mallrats, too. Mm-hmm. But they all know the, the references. Like, they were, they've been in these movies now. Yeah. Anyway, so I guess we should, we should talk about it. Obviously, we loved it. Uh, it's very limited release. It hasn't made a ton of money, but it seems like it's... Like, so, <laughs> I was worried that, that Kevin Smith would never make another movie again. <laughs> Why? Because he made Clerks for himself mm-hmm. and then distributed it. And I think like it cost something like $50,000 or something like that or $75,000 to make that movie. And it made like $3 million bucks or wow. $4 million. So it made a lot of money Yeah, compared to how much it costs because it got a distributor through Miramax. And then they were like, Universal's going to you know do your next film – and it's going to be a fucking, you know, three, four, five million dollar production, right? And then it, that was Mallrats. And then it just bombed. And it did not do well. 
They made like a hundred grand on the opening weekend or something like that. It was not good. And I was like, oh, this dude's done. But Miramax apparently gave him another shot. They made this movie for reported around $250,000. And it seems like it's doing well. But it's, you know, limited, limited release. They're going to open it up more and everything. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, he definitely he seems to have found, like, an audience. Yeah. This one, I believe, is the best one. So far, yeah. And... It's different. Mallrats is still my favorite. See, I think Clerks is really good, too, though. They're all... Well, yeah, they're all great. They're all great in their own ways. They're very different. Even though they share a universe or whatever, they... They're all different. Mallrats is very... I don't know. I Like... They all have very different tones. They're they're all very different tones, different like feels. You know, like like Yeah. Clerks feels like purgatory. <laughs> you know? And it, it feels like you're working in a convenience store. That's for sure. exactly what it feels like. It it feels like that kind of just desolate life. Yeah. And it's it's like it's a hangout movie, yeah. for sure. Mall rats is more of like an adventure. Uh, but it's very like very slapstick, colorful, and yes. and happy. Oh yeah, very co- very colorful. And then this one is more like grounded and real. Yeah, this yeah. is like from the most real movie I think he's made, especially considering the fucking moron that is the protagonist of this film. Actually, the protagonist of this movie is Joey Lauren Adams. <laughs> Who is much more interesting of a character, much more relatable of a character, much more sympathetic of a character. But instead, the movie mainly focuses on Ben, ben Affleck. Affleck as a fucking moron. Holden McNeil. So you think that he's a fucking moron? Oh my god, we'll get into it. But yes, absolutely. He makes maybe the stupidest decision any protagonist has ever made in any movie ever. You know, it's funny, I uh, before we get to that, so I mentioned Quint from Mallrats, mm-hmm. and obviously Brody, Mallrats. Right. That's Jason Lee's character in Mallrats, now he's playing Banky. That's weird. Right. Um, it's, they it's, shouldn't recycle actors into different roles if they're going to use crossover characters in the It movies. is weird that they have this shared like universe thing and no one ever says, hey, you look just like this one. Too. They mention the quick stop. And yeah. Like, yeah. But anyway, um, so <clears throat> they, uh, I don't know where I was going now. I'm sorry. I interrupted <laughs> um, you. Oh, yeah. So in Mallrats, they had Quint and they had Brody. And in this movie, they have Hooper. Those are all characters from Jaws. Oh, really? Yeah, he obviously loves Jaws, Kevin Smith. They do the salsa shark thing. And, mm-hmm. and Clerks. Dun it, dun it. <laughs> I believe they mentioned. I believe they mentioned uh, Jaws in Mallrats as well. Hmm. And then, yeah, when Jaws pops out of the water, that's when he was going to propose. Oh, yeah. And now, they, like I said, they all have those names. Quint is the captain that's um, uh, Robert Shaw. And then Brody's, uh, what's his name? The sheriff. Um, I can't think of the actor's name off the top of my head for some reason. But you know him, Roy, Roy Scheider. And, no, I don't. And then Hooper is, yeah, you do. you've seen Jaws. And then Hooper is Richard Dreyfuss's character. I've seen I've seen Jaws. You've seen Draws? <laughs> I've that's seen like, some Draws. That's the... Like, <laughs> That's the uh, the low rent version of Jaws, <laughs> where uh, someone just is drawing pictures that are scaring people. <laughs> oh my goodness! You say uh, you say watercolors. <laughs> people are like, huh, huh, what? But you say draws <laughs> on Labor Day weekend. We've got a panic. Oh my goodness! That was from Jaws. Um. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> uh, so- I don't remember what was happening. So those three characters all have character names from the movie Jaws. And then in this movie, Banky and Hooper, who leaves, but Alyssa Jones, Mm -hmm. 
who apparently is sisters of Trisha Jones, <laughs> the one in Mallrats who was uh, having sex with all those dudes. Oh, really? Yeah, they must be sisters because they're both. It's Alyssa and Trisha Jones. Hmm. And she mentioned her sisters. Oh, okay. But anyway, so um, they have a they have a conversation where they are comparing scars from going down yeah. girls. That's an awesome scene. Which is from Jaws. Oh, there's a scene yeah. in Jaws where the three guys are on the boat and they finally bond by showing each other their scars. How they got attacked by sharks and, and stuff yeah, like yeah, that yeah. and everything. And um, that happens. So like, There's even one where like Hooper goes, I, I got that beat. I got that beat. No, that was Alyssa. But Hooper in Jaws says oh, that oh, line. Oh. <laughs> and then in this movie, she says yeah. it. Yeah. So it's a, it's a very clear homage. Even the background kind of looks like the that bar where they're at. Mm-hmm. Framed-wise, it looks like the back of the boat, the orca that they're on wow. in, in the in, in Jaws. I looked. It's very similar. Okay. But anyway, so I just thought it, that was interesting. And I wondered if maybe they, like Cooper was supposed to be in the other one with T.S., with, with T.S., whose last name is Quint, and Brody. Who's Hooper? The black guy. Thank you. In in the movie, I yeah. did not remember that that was his name. And the whole, every time you're saying, I'm like, who the fuck is he talking about? Who's he talking about? Hooper, the black dude. Okay, uh, you know, uh, White Hayden Coon. <laughs> That's not me doing a slur. That's the name of his comic. Yeah, yeah. It's his character is hilarious. Yeah, the introduction of his character is one of the funniest things I that may have, maybe was ever written for the <laughs> film because he he come they come in. Ben Affleck and, and Jason Lee playing Holden McNeil and Banky. Right. And they they come into him giving a speech talking about, uh, you know, how he has good representations of black people in his comic books and not this terrible repres- stereotypes. Yeah, stereotypes that have been the norm throughout the years. And they start... They start like uh, heckling, yeah. I mean, like he's like, ah, oh, it's horse shit because he's talking about. He's like about Star Wars, Lando Calrissian. He's a good role model. And then they go back and forth and everything. And he's talking about the movie we just watched, Return of the Jedi. Yeah, how it destroys Vader's black visage because it says that deep down inside, black people just want to be white. <laughs> just ridiculous. And Banky goes, "Well, isn't that true?" <laughs> and then he just pulls out a gun and shoots him. Well, it pretends to shoot. Yeah. yeah, and everyone runs away, and it's like it's all playing to his his image as this like angry black. It's so, it's so funny because he's talking about not wanting to go into stereotypes and everything and stuff, but he himself is playing a stereotype. Oh yeah, and then in his real life mm-hmm. because he is very gay. Yeah, very very gay. Yeah, when he's not pretending to be this uh, racist like hater person he's right. like a flaming queen right <laughs> and it's yeah it's very good and the guy that that plays this character excellent oh yeah um yeah and then on the panel with him we meet Alyssa. Yeah, that's right because the panel is supposed to be for minorities yeah and he is a black dude and she is a woman woman but Apparently, there's more to it than that. Oh, yeah. We just don't know it right away. Idiosyncratic routine, whatever that means. Yeah, did he even read her comic? Like He says he did. might have helped. He says he read her comic. Yeah, because she's, uh, yeah, she's gay. She's a lesbian. Mm-hmm. But he is just smitten. Like, as soon as he looks at her, like, you can see oh, he sees yeah. nothing but her. Mm-hmm. So, the movie is essentially their courtship. Yeah. What, well, I mean, it's their friendship, and then it and then turns courtship. into that. What What was your favorite part of the movie? Because to me, there's a lot to like here. Yeah. My favorite part? That's hard. Um, I mean, I really like the scene where he professes his love to her. And it's, it's a good like, monologue. Yeah. And because she buys him this painting from a diner, and 
he's just talking about how like basically he'd never need something like that to remind him of her because mm-hmm. you know he loves her so much and yeah she just walks out gets out of the car in the middle of a rainstorm starts hitchhiking yeah and uh 97 pound <laughs> joey lord adams and she basically tells him to go fuck himself because she's gay and she's like nothing changes for you if we're together mm-hmm. but she has to she legitimately has to change her, her whole, whole life yeah. yeah so but then she just runs after him when he starts to leave and, and kisses him and, and it's just such a like emotional mm-hmm. like passionate moment it doesn't surprise me that that's your favorite scene yeah. Because you're so into the, you know, gooey emotional stuff. <laughs> but. Um, what was your favorite? Well, I'm not sure exactly. But I will say this. A couple things. One. I think this is maybe. This is, without a doubt, Kevin Smith's best written movie. Okay. And I think maybe his most competently directed movie. Like I know, like I know, he's he's done some film school, I think, or whatever. But I don't think he graduated. Like I don't think he doesn't have a ton of formal training. Mm-hmm. But even though there were some shots that I'm like, eh, you know, like I still saw some some things that I was like, yeah, that's that's okay. It's not super interesting visually. Okay, what what he's doing with the camera, but there were some, uh, you know, good shots, and I liked. There was a little bit of, you know, handheld work where it wasn't, especially that scene, that's kind of what made me think of it, the scene you're talking about, where, you know, it's pretty, like, like locked down when they're in the car because it's on him. And, you know, it's sort of shot reverse shot because it's showing him, that it's showing her reactions, showing him and everything. But then when they get out of the car and everything, it's all, because it's all, like, teetering, right? Could go one way or the other. And the mm-hmm. camera kind of mimics that with the handheld aspect of it. It's not super shaky or anything like that, but it's there's some emotion there, right? It's everything's kind of feels raw, like we're just watching this play yeah. out. Um and there's a couple like nice tracking shots in that uh scene too. Um but yeah, it's uh, it's it's I think the most visually interesting movie that he's done. But the strength is probably, besides the dialogue, the strength is, I think, the performances. Because Ben Affleck is, I mean, he's been in a couple things. Not a lot, really, but he was in that Mallrats movie. Mm -hmm. They mentioned Shannon Hamilton. (laughs) You know, and then, because he played Shannon Hamilton. Yeah. They mentioned it to his face. It's like... Hey, did anyone ever tell you you look exactly like this guy I'm talking about? <laughs> um, but uh, he's amazing. Mm-hmm. Very good in this movie. Uh, Joy Lauren Adams is a powerhouse in this film. And uh, um, Jason Lee is also, you know, uh, great at doing his Jason Lee thing. Mm-hmm. Screaming and, and being <laughs> funny. Yeah, I mean it is. It's all it's all great acting and great writing and I mean I don't have much not good to say about this movie at all. I like the so and Kevin Smith is is you know this is kind of one of the things he's known for. The dialogue's very stylized. Very it's a very artificial. Mm-hmm. It's very not normal everyday dialogue. It, it, but it's like Mammoth, you know what I mean? Like when I say it's artificial, that's not like a put down of it. I like it. It's it works with the universe that he's created and the characters that he's created. But it's very it's an artifice. Okay. Because people don't say like um, you know, uh, I, I was I should have written down the line too. Uh but there's a line that especially that she has right before that scene where she's talking and just the way she says things, mm-hmm. the phraseology, it's all very, just like I said, like stylized. And and it's, you you notice that it's not naturalistic dialogue. Okay. But it works really well. It's like everybody is a Shakespearean actor or something like that. That's the way they, they perform, perform things. 
I mean, I, I, I guess I wouldn't quite go that far. Um, it's not that artificial, but well, I mean, like you know, like in Mallrats when he's like, uh, you know, I love the smell of commerce in the morning. You know, what are you doing in this uh, uh, monolithic consumerism? And like, also like people don't talk like that. Yeah, but I mean, I thought that was just them being funny. No, it's it's that's their that's how they talk. Okay. That's how they, like, it's fundamental. It, it can be funny, but it's fundamental to, to these characters, all of them. That's how they speak. They all speak that way. And there are times when the dialogue is a little more naturalistic. When he's, when Ben Affleck's giving his monologue about how much he loves her, that's very natural. What he's, what he's, like, what he's saying is more what you would say in that scenario naturalistically i don't see i don't think that was very natural because like at the end of it like when he's like i I wish i knew exactly how he said but like um so well you know whatever touching or whatever well appreciated yeah i i would never need yeah to remind you know to remind me of when he that that closing statement is clunky and Mm. not natural and i don't think anybody would say it it sounds like what you would write down not what you would say. When he gets towards the end of that speech, yeah, it gets more towards the artifice. But like I said, I think I don't think that's a negative. Yeah. I think it's a strength because it works with this world that he's created. Yeah, I'm not saying it as a criticism. I mean, like I said, it's my favorite scene. But yeah. I just wouldn't say that's the most natural either. But I think the beginning and, you know, as he's going through it, I think is pretty... I can see somebody thinking all the, like, planning out what they want to say, you know, about how they love this person. Yeah. And then just, you know, vomiting it all out, basically. Because <laughs> that's what he does. Yeah. But, yeah, so the, the, I, the, I like that, and I've noticed that more in this movie than in any of the other ones. I think, okay, so my favorite scene, mm-hmm. I think, is in the diner scene at the oh, end. okay. The one with where we see Jay and Silent Bob. Yeah, that's a good one too. And I think you know, Bob's got a monologue every movie apparently. <laughs> where the first one's real easy, <laughs> real simple, in Clerks where he's just like, uh, you know, um, most women uh, don't make you lasagna; they just cheat on you or whatever. You know, he's right. got that like. It's very short and to the point though. Mallrats is a little bit more. In depth, I guess he does the adventure excitement, you know, thing and all that stuff. Uh, but this one is the longest, mm-hmm. the most personal to the character of Silent Bob, and I think the best one so far of his. He speaks in the movies. Yes, it was awesome. And Kevin Smith's a pretty good actor, actually. Not not too bad. I mean, I get. I think it's he's drawing on personal experience, but yeah. But also, apparently, they're going to Chicago on a bus, and uh, we stayed kind of all the way through the credits. And at the end of the credits, it says Jay and Silent Bob will return in Dogma, whatever the fuck that is. That sounds. I mean, like whatever they're making, I want to see it for sure. Is it about dogs? <laughs> what happened with that monkey, Suzanne? What monkey? That's what I want to know. At the end of Mallrats, they're walking. They do the whole thing where they're like, Brody fucking takes over the Tonight Show, and and uh, Shannon Doherty's his drummer. <laughs> yeah. Brenda from 90210 is his drummer. And then they show Jay and Silent Bob, and they're like, Jay, Silent Bob, Suzanne, and they've got like a orangutan or something like that. Well, that's a st- story for another day or whatever. Yeah, maybe they'll tell it. Yeah, I'd like them to. That's my point. But, okay, so you you mentioned, I believe, I know you've mentioned to me several times that yeah. uh, <laughs> that Holden makes a pretty big mistake in oh, this yeah. movie. Um, yeah, like, the worst scene in the movie. I mean, there are so many mistakes, though. It's not just one. It's not just the worst one. Like, it starts in the very beginning of their relationship. Yeah, oh, for sure. Because he just assumes... That she has never been with a man, even right. though she never said that. He also assumes that she's straight at first, too. Yeah, he makes a lot of assumptions. He's an idiot. 
Late fee nineteen ninety four at com. If you think that Holden McNeil's a moron of a character, right? He's somewhat sympathetic, I guess, but I mean, he's a fucking idiot. And he, he so for those of you that haven't seen the movie, but I mean, watch the movie, really. Oh yeah, you have to watch the movie. Like, just turn this, this off spo- and go find this it. This spoils everything for the movie. The, yeah. the basic plot of the movie is they start getting together. He asks her about her past, or actually. Banky brings up about her past that she had sex with two guys at the same time when she was younger, and she had a wild past. She had sex with guys. She had sex with girls. She experimented. She didn't know what she wanted. She found what she wanted in Holden. Right, which she says multiple times. Yeah, and he can't, he cannot reconcile it. He's he's too freaked out. He's too weirded out. He thinks he's too vanilla. Too insecure. His ego is just fucking shattered yeah he very insecure dude and he comes up with the perfect solution that he and banky who he thinks is gay and has a crush on him because hooper said that once and that's that the, boy loves you in a way he's not ready to deal with yeah well that's the only way he ever sees anything like that well and, yeah because he's all, all into female porn first of all but right. okay and then Alyssa, all have sex together and as he's saying it, I'm like, you're a fucking moron. <laughs> and a, a couple times she's like, don't, don't say it. Yeah. And I'm like, can he not hear her? <laughs> like, does he not realize that he should just uh, hit the eject button on this fucking idea? And she's like, look, no, because that's a different part of my life that it's over with now. You're all I need. And I don't want to fucking share you. I'm pissed off. You would want to share me. Yeah. Which also, by the way, yeah, like, what the fuck? Guy's a weirdo, man. Stupidest idea ever. Well, yeah, I mean, I get, I get, he explains his rationale. So, I mean, like, I get where he's coming from, I guess. But it was very stupid. Like, I'll tell you what, she uh, says, uh, Banky would have seen where he was coming from if they didn't. Right. But, I mean, like, when she says to him, I was very thorough when I looked for you. Like, that right there should just cinch it up for him. That should be enough. I don't understand, like, why he lets us get to him so much. Look, Carol's had a five-way. I, I don't not. care. <laughs> don't even. No, but, I mean, if you had, like, obviously you haven't. But I would say we're fairly uh, on the same level experience-wise before we got with each other. But... <laughs> that look do you think you're more experienced no uh other other direction there anyway so we don't need to talk about that no uh so um i would i i i wouldn't care it wouldn't bother me past is past right you know it's who like i don't understand why it matters so much that's the one thing the one thing that i don't get about this movie (laughs) that's kind of a big thing is why it fucking matters so much. Oh, I totally get it. Because of the kind of fucked up, insecure person he is. Well, do you think that's from Kevin Smith? Because Kevin Smith tells that story, and that story sounds like super true. <laughs> like like that that was really him, you know? Like he dated a girl that was like like that, and that had had, I had think... those stories. And like the, the story he tells sounds like it actually happened to him in real life. Yeah, maybe it did. I mean, I think that a lot of dudes would probably feel insecure in that situation. I guess. I don't know. I mean, like, I, I get it. Because, like, I, in the past, have been a very insecure person. So I can, like, kind of identify with that more. I guess I'm just not that insecure. Yeah, no, you're not. At least in this aspect of life. Right. But, yeah, I mean, that's just the dumbest decision ever. He makes just a series of mistakes mm-hmm. throughout the entire movie. Yep, just over and over. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I mean, like, I kind of want to go back really quick, though, to talk about something else before we get too far into the uh, he's fucked up thing. Okay. Okay. When they're still just friends. Yeah. And they're just talking. Right. There was a thing that wronged me, and I want to know how you felt about it. Oh, okay. When she takes her hand. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. And makes a circle. Right. And takes her other hand. When she, yeah. Goes through. When she demonstrates 
And then she says it's for for special occasions. What kind of fucking special occasion is that? It's for special occasions, you know, when you don't want to walk for the next four days. It's like when you want to simulate childbirth. Like, why would you do that? That looked awful. Oh. He's like, doesn't that hurt? And she's like, yeah, but in that good way. What good way? Right. Did somebody hurt you in the past? Like, what is wrong with you? I mean, I assume that it happens. I assume that lesbian. I don't know a lot about lesbian sex, but I assume they do do that. Ugh. I don't know. I don't know. I don't like it. It scared me. What did you think of the portrayal of gay and lesbianness in this movie? Is it? Is it a good portrayal? I. Well, I'll tell you this. They're all bisexual, right? Like, none of them are actually gay. What? Except Hooper might be gay. What? No. Like, the girls that she hangs out with are lesbians. Okay, yeah, that's true. And, yeah, Hooper is gay. And then she is bisexual. And Binky maybe is bisexual. Yeah. You know, you know so it's I would Banky, right? Binky. Not, not Binky? <laughs> it's not a fucking bassamite. <laughs> so, uh, no, I wouldn't say they're all bisexual. Um, I meant the main characters. But as far as the portrayal, like... The reason that I am not with women is partially because of that portrayal of lesbians. Because I'm not attracted to women Mm -hmm. like that, that are like that masculine. Like, I don't get that. And um, I I think a lot of lesbian women are like that. Yeah. And they'll, like, ostracize, you know, bisexuals for Mm -hmm. not being more like on the team i don't know do you think that bisexuals are more like bisexual women are more like the you know what you would call the pretty ones or whatever i don't know i mean Femin- I, feminized femin- the lipstick lesbians sure. i mean according well, to you according to banky that doesn't exist right yeah but he does the the easter bunny santa claus the friendly <laughs> nice hot lesbian girl and then the man-hating dyke. Right. And, you know, the the dyke's going to get the, the dollar because the others are figments of your fucking imagination. That's a very... That was that was well-delivered. That whole setup and payoff yeah. was, was good. I mean, obviously, a message we don't agree with here at Massive Life Fee, but um, a very nice scene true to his character. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know. It seems like it was, mm, yeah, it did kind of say, mm. <laughs> I was going to say something that I can't. Oh, okay. But. <laughs> Messed up? <laughs> Maybe. You're going to swear? We don't do that on the show. I don't know. I mean, like, I just think that, uh, Alyssa she ends up being a bisexual anyway so i can't really you know she can't really prove the point yeah i don't know if it's i don't know i don't know if it's a super realistic portrayal of of gay people yeah but i don't know that it's necessarily supposed to be like the meow mix club <laughs> i liked that i liked that banky was at that club he looks and sees two two girls kissing Still confused. Sees two other girls kissing. Confused. Sees two girls talking. And he's like, oh, they're lesbians. <laughs> that was very funny to that me. That was weird. That was that was subtle, <laughs> but, but hilarious. I don't know. Do places like that really exist? What, Miamix? Full of that many attractive women. <laughs> well, were there a lot of attractive women there? Some of them were. Some of them looked like uh, 1980s hockey players. Oh. So, <laughs> to me. Yikes. Some were on the Edmonton Oilers. Um, but, uh, no, I mean, there were like, some attractive girls, I guess. I don't know. I mean, I've heard of, like, gay clubs for guys. I haven't really heard that too many for women. There's, yeah, if you go down to Royal Oak and stuff like that, you'll find them. Or as we call it in the in the biz, royal joke. <laughs> anyway, it's one of my dad's jokes, right? Um, yeah. So that's the episode for this week. What? It is? Oh, we're done. We're not done. What's up? What do you want to talk about? <laughs> what, the fuck? what else are we going to talk about with this movie? I loved it. Did you love it? I did love it. You should go watch it. You should. 
What else? What do you? If you have other things to say, I'm I'm all ears. I'm out of stuff to. I'm out of glowing things to say about this movie. What? What else do you want to say? I guess nothing. No, you. <laughs> the floor is yours. You seemed very confused that we were done already. Well, I just didn't. I didn't really because we didn't like finish. Like we we didn't. Finish. <laughs> well, neither did they. <laughs> it was all built up and no finish. Did you like the part when uh, Bob said, uh, I felt small when he was talking about, um, uh, you know, how like the woman, that he, Amy, mm-hmm. had so much experience and everything that he's like, it made me feel small. And then Jay kind of looks over, <laughs> le- leans over and looks down at his lap to see his penis because he thinks that's what he's talking about. That, that was funny. I didn't even really notice. That seems like something a guy would do and notice though. Um, no, I hated the way the movie ended. Oh. Okay. Um, that they split up, that they all split up. Yes, they all split up. It 20 just, year friendship out the fucking door. It just destroyed everything. Yeah, because he's a fucking idiot. Do you think that's realistic? Yeah. Hmm. When, once you propose to fuck your friend, yeah, I, I can see why you, they wouldn't talk that much anymore. I don't know, and like I think him and Alyssa would have been amazing together, and they should stay together. And maybe they'll get together. He shows her that his new book, Chasing Amy, and stuff like that, and and it looks like she's her hair looks so much better like that too. Yeah, at the end. Um, but uh, it looks like maybe she's she's looking at him, you know, and everything. She's yeah. fucking like staring at him, drooling, and her girlfriend comes back, and she's like. Uh, Oh, who was that? And she's like, somebody I used to know. And that's the only (laughs) question she has. I would have more questions. I mean, I guess it would depend on uh, exactly how close they were. Yeah, I don't know. Like, this is the first time she's coming to a comic book convention with her. She doesn't really get it or understand. I don't think that relationship's going to last. Yeah, so. But will they get back together? We don't know. It's left ambiguous. I guess that's true. I guess I can just imagine that they do, and then that makes it a little bit better. Yeah. Okay, now I'm okay with you ending the show. Okay, now that you've had your money shot of the end of the uh, <laughs> the movie, right? Well, you end the show, Carol. So uh, I you... always finish before you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, write us at latev nineteen ninety four com. Check out our website www.retroleafy.com. Oh yeah, and uh, share the tapes with your friends. All right, we will see you next time. Bye. Bye.